0: You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, we have Matilda Sung from Ludus Capital. Welcome to the show, Matilda.
1: Thanks so much, Thomas, for having me.
0: So can you just, as a bit of a, a starting point, outline a bit about your investment thesis at Ludus and then a little bit of background to, to you personally as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Luda's Capital is a early stage investment fund and we like to focus on companies, seed companies that are at the intersection of what we say sports technology and media entertainment. Uh, what that means, you know, double click into that, that's pretty much anything and everything under what we call the sports tech umbrella. And for us, and and you may have had, had a variety of different definitions in terms of what is sports tech, but for us, we're really looking at all types of technologies, mostly software, but some hardware. Um, but you know, SaaS, five G enablement, computer vision, AI, natural language processing, Web three, crypto, you name it, any type of technologies. Um, that propel the experiences and products and services that um, allow for greater and more delightful sports consumption and participation, both at a professional and amateur level. So we start kind of from there and we take a level um, below that. We look at everything um, in the sub-verticals from you know, sports betting to fan engagement, to data analytics to broadcast technologies, etc., Um, As it relates to our our thesis specifically, um, our team likes to sort of operate and think about the world of sports tech under a few principles, if you will. Um, One of the first principles we we live by is we strongly believe that there are technology use cases that first um, find use and service in the sports arena, and uh, once we've proved sort of product market fit there, very soon thereafter, there's actually plentiful use cases in adjacent or other verticals altogether. One of the prime examples we like to point to is really MLB BAM. Uh, what once started off as streaming technologies for MLB, um, just baseball, went on to power other sports with the NHL and then other media formats with um, Game of Thrones under. Uh, their HBO. And then ultimately um, I think Disney just finalized their, their, the final bits of the acquisition of the entire um, the entire piece of um, that technology. And so that's one of the principles we go by. Um, The second is really around this idea that um, there is um, undervaluation or misallocation of value in the sports world altogether. Um, I spent some time at the NFL and, um, and uh, genesis of my role really was around sort of how do we think of the future of the fan? How do we meet this younger demographic of fans that are interacting differently, that aren't necessarily going into stadiums, that aren't necessarily watching full three-and-a-half-hour games, that are not cable subscribers? How do we reach them, and how do we get the content to them the way they want to have it? And so that got me thinking, well, you know, I come from a technology background. Previously, I spent some time in Silicon Valley, and then as a management consultant, really focus on digital transformations with our clients. Um, and it, it came to the realization that, you know, sports isn't an industry that's an exception from being disrupted by technology. And um, it's probably on the later side of trees that are, that are going through this transformation, if you will. And it's reflected in terms of how they're able to monetize on, um, on, on their fans. And so we did a bit of math crunching, and I'm not sure if you're actually familiar with this, but um, if we believe sports is an entertainment format that's competing for a end user's timeshare or mind share, and we look at things that are comparable and competitive, such as maybe Netflix shows or, you know, shows on Disney or social media, we find that sports as an aggregate actually under monetizes much more grossly than the comparable forms of entertainment. Um, I think to the order of, um, I think something like $25 per fan on an aggregate global basis for sports versus something like Netflix is about maybe on a value per user basis, about $700 or so. Um, is that,
0: sorry, is that, is that, what is the time? Is that, um, that's obviously not lifetime value. What, what is that? Is that for a year? Is that for a time? Yeah,
1: so we took a snapshot in time. And so basically for sports, looking at an aggregate, basically the four pillars of revenue, right? Which is like gate revenue, media rights, values, sponsorships, and uh, merch, right? And we look at it on a global basis and we take a look at sort of the number of fans in the world. Um, and if you take that math and you, t- and you divide you know, one over the other, you get something on the order of about $25 per fan. Um if you double click into that particular number um, a good chunk of these sports revenues globally actually come from the us and when you do it over the us basis of fans and you do it on a per sport basis the numbers come out a little bit better so the us and us sporting leagues are able to monetize at a greater level than say the european leagues and other sports i think cricket came out to a few dollars per fan um, but then we take a macro view. Well, why is it monetizing so much lower than say a Netflix or a Twitch or an Instagram or a Twitter, right? And I kind of go back to our Silicon Valley days where there's just this fervent focus on serving the customer and providing this stellar experience that's frictionless, that's seamless, that you don't even have to think. And it's so delightful. And I would argue that five, seven years ago, that out yet for, for the new fan, the new emerging fan that's very much digital first, if you will. Um, and over the last over years, we've seen a lot of innovation come to sort of fill that space. So one of the questions we ask in the fund is like, well, how can we close that gap? What are the innovations that are needed to really um, get the fan what they want, when they want, how they want it? And so that's sort of the second principle that we operate by. The third and final um, is really sort of around this trend Um, this growing trend and growing awareness around health fitness and wellness as a society um over the years especially you know accelerated by a pandemic um there's just been growing interest and awareness in society across all levels right at the family unit level community level at a nationwide governmental level around just how important it is um, um, for us to take note of these things um and we feel sports um with elite athletes really play a strong role in this, in the space, um, as role models, as visionaries, in terms of how we think to incorporate certain habits, behaviors, the way we think, the way we do to really accelerate sort of how, how we are on a health and wellness on a daily basis. So, um, that, that sort of belief set sort of guides some of the things that we've been looking at of recent, um, so our thesis is really centered around a few of these principles, and when we go from there, we we like to we'd like to look at companies, um, you know, more tactically at a seed stage um, that have a MVP of sorts, have established some degree of product market fit, um, and that serves um, that serves fans across the parameters I mentioned.
0: Yeah, and I mean it's like asking um, someone to name their favorite child, but out of your portfolio. Uh, what are some of the most notable companies or, or ones that you want to give a, I guess, a specific shout out to illustrate how that, um, those investment principles work in practice?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the first companies that we we invested in is Pumpjack DataWorks. Are you familiar with them?
0: Yeah, just uh, just up the road in Dallas.
1: Yeah, exactly. They are your, their neighbors with Nick, Nick Goggins at the helm there and, um, they play to our, our our second, a first and second principle. So they're in the business of basically effective, um, er erecting sort of a business intelligence, um, unit for sports teams and leagues at, um, a really efficient way. And they've proved that with a number of teams, the Mavs, Miami to name just a few in the U S. Um, and what they've done, um, is really, uh, position their clients to be able to have a truly intimate view of who their fans are. Um, A lot of teams and leagues, I would say, over the last 10 years have been getting their act together in terms of collecting data from the multiple touch points. And I think maybe five years ago, I would say, they started taking this data and cleaning it up, if you will, and being able to see it from a singular view and PumpJack plays in that space. Um, not only do they package the data from all these different sources, they then also take this data and say, well, how can we make sense of it? And then take it one step further. How can we further monetize based on this data and then provide that stellar in context experience for our fans? And so that's the value proposition of the company. And they've proven this with sports teams, uh, but what they found over the last year or so is their media companies that are quite interested in what they're doing. Um, you know, publishers that have a reader base that also want to service, um, want to service them in a much more contextual personalized manner. And have found that the tools that Pumstack is able to pull together behind the scenes um, is able to really address that. Um, the second principle I mentioned, sort of the undervaluation, um, that's really been able been, um, been addressed by sort of pumpjacks' ability to say, "Hey, in Miami, you've got a P18 to 34 segment of fans that are female that are probably interested in buying merch leading up to this game. Why don't we service them with a offer?" um with relevant merch um in a timely fashion maybe not the day of maybe the week of because that's the purchasing behavior of this cohort of folks Mm -hmm. Um, and further you know delighting them in that experience and again extracting greater monetary value for the teams themselves
0: yeah yeah i mean that's that's something that's been talked about a lot and um there are other providers out there doing it. And some of the, the Microsoft is, is that was a key part of what they're trying to do with uh, the NBA and, and other leagues is that um, contextual data. Um, obviously not everyone's working with Microsoft, but uh, that's the kind of understanding a fan as an individual. And that personalization uh, is huge. I mean, the, if I go buy baseball tickets with my family, um, the whole group of us don't have the same profile that i do so if they're trying to send offers uh for beers and and large uh t-shirts to my five-year-old son that's probably not going to hit uh, <laughs> probably not going to hit definitely not going to hit with the baby um he yeah. might ask the answer is no but uh it's yeah it's understanding that fan and then being able to as you said add value in a way that you know amazon is a i guess a gold standard and we talk about that a lot we talked about that recently with michael broughton um, yep. but the customer obsession and then that backed up by data that gives contextual insights and recommendations
1: totally totally and that's the holy grail and you know what people don't realize is all the plumbing that needs to happen behind the scenes is gnarly there is so much in there you know when i worked at the league i was on the strategy side but we interfaced our business intelligence team uh, pretty much on a daily basis and I just remember the problems they had to solve. I mean, we had really educated, talented data scientists that, was, that had to first focus on data hygiene, right? Collecting it from sort of the understanding the you know, dozen or so entry points where data came from, cleaning it up so that the dates read the same way, the dollars were in the same or the the same currency. Um, And we knew what we're talking about uh, before we could actually apply that a layer above. And so um, I wouldn't say we're out of the woods yet for the the industry itself in terms of um, figuring out the plumbing. Um, And that's where we're excited about PumpJack. They actually do some of that nasty, ugly plumbing in the back end um, to get to that sort of holy grail of contextual, personalized experiences based off data.
0: Yeah. And it's also the stuff that um, isn't quite as sexy and doesn't you know, it's not like a VR display or something like that that um, we were talking about South by South by Southwest, the conference coming up here in Austin. Um, you can't really do a demo of the plumbing that <laughs> goes into data in a way that, that attracts people, but it's so important and certainly um, where yeah. the the undervalued areas of of the industry are. So that's uh, that's a great summary, a great introduction, and and I guess looking at that, looking forward to 2022 and beyond, what are some key Trends that you're you're banking on, you're you're thinking are going to be uh, affecting the sports industry.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one way to answer that question is really to look at what excited us a lot towards the latter half of last year. Um, I think first and foremost uh, is the inner section of Web3 technologies and um, ultimately fan engagement experiences. We saw a lot of really interesting and creative activations last year. Um, It's still a bit of a (laughs) <laughs> um, there, there, there's a lot of ideas, not all of them are great, um, but it's been really interesting to track sort of, um, when I talk about Web3, I'm talking about blockchain, crypto, tokens, NFTs, fan tokens, um, DAOs, dApps, et cetera, and how they play to the different parts of, say, a fan journey. Um, so we're pretty excited about the continued innovation that's going to come out of um, come out of this space. I think what's going to drive um, this piece in the year forward is there's innovation happening in the Web three space itself, in conjunction of obviously the things that are happening in 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 at intersection with sports. But I think things like making it much more seamless and frictionless for someone to have a MetaMask wallet and, and connect to operate in the Web3 world, just things, simple things like that is really going to push a needle in terms of how impactful are these um, new innovations going to be in terms of attracting fans and attracting users. So we're looking at that space quite a bit. Um, the second area I would say somewhat related is a sort of new forms of gaming, which kind of gets into also sports betting. Um, we're, we're excited for what the U S, um, gaming sports betting market might be not only because it's, you know, it's lighting up, it's, you know, the States are turning green and whatnot, but we think it's distinctly different than the rest of the world. Um, we think that if presented with a interface that is, simple to use, easy to understand and delightful. There's an opportunity to attract um, a larger, non-traditional like betting gaming audience, um, audience that's younger, that's female, there's minorities, there are folks that are ahead of households, highly consumptive, uh, brand influencer type folks that is different, frankly different than they, than, than who, who are the consumers of, uh, or gamers of um, outside of the US. So we're watching for, for interesting um, activations in, in this space. And then the last, I would say would probably fall into the sort of broader connected health, fitness, wellness space. Um, we're less excited about singularly connected type devices uh, or Apple modalities. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that they're looking, you know, five, seven, 10 years out um, there is, going to be a move right now to get to this place where we have a holistic view of a human being um, in it's in, in it's like digital health um, status, if you will. I think a lot about sort of the time I spent in retail, um, back in consulting, and we're thinking about how do we bridge offline and online worlds into the sort of multi-channel commerce world. And the same can be said here in fitness. It's like, it's no longer about your physical, physical existence or your digital existence is the combination and the cross cross cross-pollination of the two, um, both in terms of experience, um, and also the data play, right? So it's no longer singular data, like that, the Peloton has recorded on me versus myself or me versus my cohort, but me versus the other modalities with exercise that I've been doing, the other biometric data that feeds to give sort of a holistic view of the health and wellness of somebody. Um, I think players who are operating sort of in this transitional phase um, are, are very interesting to us.
0: Yeah, it's the, those, the, kind of data integration, giving contextual, as we said before, like with sports teams, contextual, timely insights into your health um, and wellness from a variety of of data sources and whether that's wearables, whether that's advanced wearables from glucose monitoring, all that kind of stuff, your actual workout that you've done, how you're sleeping, what you're eating, what you're adjusting, even down to the um, the, the really pointy end of uh, health. Um, rather than wellness which would be medication and you know other um, severe chronic issues I think that's really there's just so much there that's that's untapped um, and also isn't as taken up by some of the, the the big players so to speak I mean even including whoop you've got amazon halo you've got Um, Google, I guess, with Fitbit kind of there, but, you know, Apple Watch, like um, that hardware space is, uh, and I guess Aura as well in that bucket, but people aren't going to be wearing four different wearables. Um, There's going to be demand for integration and, uh, I guess, interoperability with what's happening.
1: Completely, completely. And I also think about go go a level deeper and how about, you know, connecting to sort of our our health records in a way right Mm -hmm. electronic health records Um, I mean we've you you've heard of a concept sort of a digital health passport right I mean with COVID so many things um, have accelerated in its adoption and and that's something that that we've seen in countries outside of the U.S. less so in the U.S. you know due to cultural differences and and philosophies and being but it's a very
0: it's a very diplomatic way of saying (laughs) freedom and the government's going to take my data and you can't track me and all that kind of stuff. Um,
1: (laughs) Exactly. But that must be. As an
0: Australian living in Texas, I can say that because I see what it's like in Australia where you have uh, COVID passes and everything's digital and your movements are tracked and all that kind of stuff. And then in Texas, um, speed cameras aren't there because it's a violation of your, um, your privacy to have a a speed camera that would, would track you and stuff. So I've seen both worlds and I, and I take your point, but uh, I think, the, the, the nudge, if you can nudge people into the platform by their own will, um, as we've seen with social media and things like Amazon, if it's a beautiful experience, people will happily turn over their data.
1: Absolutely. Completely agree with you. And I'm in California, so I'm going to be a little bit more diplomatic here, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we provide the value to the consumer. It's going to, you know, that would be the key to sort of winning them over and then offering up more information to provide it just just I think about implications at insurance levels, right? Um with 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 medicine, preventive measures. And um, so the, the opportunities are great. I think we're still very early in all this. And there's an opportunity for for innovations in the sports tech space to make a dent and, and to sort of like open up like provide pave the vision for what what it could be and what we could do for humankind altogether.
0: And so, looking at the US in particular as one of the most, one of the biggest but most unwieldy healthcare markets in the world um, and probably one of the most inefficient, um, what, where do you think the driver is gonna be? Is is it from individuals taking control of their own health journey or is it actually gonna come from, external sources or third parties, I guess, in the industry looking for efficiencies. And by that, I mean employers that have to pay a lot of money for health benefits for their employees. If their employees are healthier, then there's an actual direct line of, of cost benefit. The insurance rates are going to be lower. Their employees aren't going to be out sick as much stuff like that. Um, And then the insurance providers themselves, uh, as we've seen in say, uh, driving, it's quite common. You can, you can uh, either through an app or a device installed in your car show that you are a safe driver through data and then get a discount on your insurance. Is it one of those things that it's, it's going to be them pushing that for efficiencies? If you show how healthy you are through your connected device or whatever other um, tool you're using to track your health and wellness um, and then you get a discount on your insurance, is it going to be that way or is it more people going, I just want to be healthier.
1: I think it's going to be a combination of both. Right. We live yeah. in a nation that have such broad spectrum of, of ways of thinking. I, I have to think that there are going to be people who ascribe to both sides of what you've just described here. Um, but then to answer sort of your question, what's going to drive the greater efficiencies in the market? Honestly, it's going to be technology and and the space that we're operating in, um, maybe shepherded by the larger tech companies that I wouldn't say take risks, but usually take the first steps in in trying things like this and demonstrating value and demonstrating impact to humankind. That then gets to over to Capitol Hill and makes a difference there. Um, so so is it conceivable that we find a company? I mean, I think was, I think about finance world. Well, Rumor: Sofi, the company that sort of yeah. looked at different. That's a criteria beyond your traditional banking criteria in terms of how to issue loans to folks, right? Um, the same can be said sort of in the health space and many implications beyond just insurance, but sort of you know when and what kinds of doctors to see, what type of preventive medicine to take and preventive measures to take um, for disease management and, and control. And and I think it's going to take innovation to offer delight and successful metrics. To a, you know, a cohort of, of uh, users and consumers that gets the attention of a larger company. Um, maybe it's a tech company, maybe it's a larger um, pharma healthcare management type company that bubbles up and gets the attention of, of, of folks above. Um, but I think it's it's gonna be ground up innovation um, that that leads the way, propelled by by the big players who typically um, um push in the space
0: yeah yeah definitely and it could be one of those things that the big players in terms of already have a huge treasure trove of, of, of data on on their users um, but also there's issues about how that started is used and there's probably a bit of a trust gap within that so there's also opportunities um and I think whoop for instance has done a fantastic job of of really driving that narrative of what they do and how they protect users data and and making people comfortable with that um, as a unique thing. So I think there's opportunities for other companies in that space to kind of follow a, a similar um, narrative in terms of how they're trusted.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, keeping and maintaining the consumer's trust is going to be key in all of this. Again, balanced by sort of the experience you're going to have. Because I mean, I'm sure you've been in conversations where Amazon could conceivably play a very big role in here. Um, with their recent launch of, you know, their pharma product line, um, them being discussions of potential acquirers for something like Peloton. Um, they have, and obviously their huge commerce business. Um, it, it wouldn't be surprising to us if we see one day where an Amazon comes in and sort of connects the dots for, for everybody. And again, also providing that stellar experience where maybe people then don't care as much about giving their data there.
0: Yeah, that's definitely one to <laughs> one to watch. And um, the mention of Peloton is this uh, fantastic segue into my next question, Matilda. Thank you so much. And this is one of my favourite ones. What is the most overhyped or overblown sectors of the industry? So I guess we just looked forwards. Looking back, what's kind of what's been a fizzer, or is or is you know, fizzer maybe a strong word, but maybe hasn't lived up to exactly where it was uh, where it was meant to be at this point.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like it's verticals that haven't lived up as much as it's verticals that have moved off the radar of VCs. Perhaps um, they're in its next phase, if you if you will. Um, and, and I and you know what I mean by that is, is are, are verticals that were really exciting maybe two three years ago. A lot of great innovation, a lot of great companies coming in, and now it's moved to a point where they're starting to be M and A. Um, light M&A activity across these companies, um, larger companies coming in, acquiring or acquiring hiring services of these companies. Um, that's an area, those are areas that where we're less interested in. Um, examples of that would be, I used to call this sort of the interactive overlay technologies. Um, I think going into pandemic, we saw a lot of companies coming in to say, well, how can we superimpose different experiences on live or on-demand content to further engage the user, right? So there are things where people could interact with each other, people could be presented with stats from, from the league, people could place bets, people could game, people could set their lineups, all that kind of stuff, right? I, I think we've seen a um, saturation in that space. Um, and teams, clubs, federations have sort of picked the folks that they're going to work with, either through acquisition, acquire hire, or partnership. Yep. Um, so we're less interested in that. Um, that's one area. Um, another area going, you know, back to your point of Peloton is we're less excited about singularly connected fitness, um, devices, if you will. Uh, we mentioned just now, right. We talked extensively about sort of this move towards a holistic type experience. And so, um, we are more interested in plays that tap into two or more modalities, if you will. Um, and then last but not least, referencing sort of the article that we both contributed to um, in Sports Pro is, is NFTs. Um, <laughs> we are long NFTs overall um, from the Ludus side. Uh, we do think that NFTs for the sake of minting NFTs, unless you are Banksy or a really well-known artist, um, is 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 going to fall flat it really needs to have um a very strong set of utility levers attached to it whether it's to buy something access something use something um get hold of something play something earn something um unless those verbs are attached to that nft um we are going to be less excited about it overall
0: yeah the uh the digital collectible was the most apparent and obvious uh, application to sports seeing where it came from as kind of coming through the art world first and then into sports and going, well, we've got these digital assets, whether that's a, you know, a player highlight or a player themselves um, let's just mint as an NFT kind of that went. And then people were left asking, all right, well, what is is that it? Essentially. Um, And obviously once you, if you have that as a highlight, um, of your player at an at a, at a individual player at a, at a team level at, at a league level once that's minted that's the point it's a non-fungible token that's that ship has sailed you can't just come back and go oh well, actually we're going next year we're going to go mint the the championship highlights from 10 years ago that we've already done well you could do that again but what's the value of that going to be if you just keep doing that kind of keep printing the same one the, the whole idea of a lot of this is scarcity and things like that. So I think some of those were excited but not particularly well thought through. But right. the, the other things around, um, I mean, data plays, there's some really interesting stuff around that, around if you, within minting the NFT, if you get information from people that purchase it and then every time it's onsold um, or changes hands, you get more inf- information and if you can use that data to then retarget those fans um, that may be digitally native and you might not have as many other touch points with them. Um, you know, that's, that's an interesting avenue, but also just the, the fact of like, what is an NF- NFT? I think that's something even conceptually um, really scratching the surface of uh, of what, what does this do? As you said, utility, but what is it? It's, it's not just a virtual baseball card there's so much more that it can be.
1: Right, and the the activation that you just mentioned, that specific utility factor of that NFT, where um, more, it almost sounds like a puzzle, right? It's a game. And so that's an area we're excited about. NFTs that have figured out this ability to build a community and deepen the community and get people to keep coming back. When an NFT can solve for some of that, that like re-engagement factor, if you will, that becomes very interesting. That changes the economics of the NFT, right? Um, you know, a Collectible, yes, it has you know appreciable valuable over time and whatnot, but, but this other factor that you can get people to do something because of it and to keep coming back to do it, that's, that's really interesting. And that adds another dimension to it. So going back to sort of this thread, it's not a single dimension kind of thing. There's gonna be a dimensionalized existence, to the NFTs that we're keeping our eyes out and an open for
0: yeah yeah definitely and that's a that's a good point to kind of jump into some thoughts on web three impact on sports uh we where are we going with this and and how far away are we from it being i guess core to these businesses will it ever be core to these businesses is it is it sports still thinks they're immune from digital transformation i think is is that's an uncontroversial statement generally but um Like, what's the kind of the timeline for this?
1: Yeah, actually, you know, I've got a great story. I just want to share quickly. Um, I, uh, my neighbor friends are part owners for LAFC. And I remember being over at their house years ago before pandemic uh, for drinks. And I remember Mike was super excited. He's like, hey, you know, we're so excited to be like one of 25 owners of LAFC. And guess what? Like, they're actually allowing us to like be influential on certain things like um you know locker room colors team chants uniforms all that fun stuff i love how we're getting involved that way and i go okay well that's great how are they doing that mike um i don't know someone from the office like gave us a call and like asked us these questions and i was like and where did where do those answers go i don't know it's probably some excel spreadsheet and then they tabulated the votes and, and 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 we made decisions that way and and I remember kind of thinking, oh, okay, well, that sounds really laborious. I feel bad for the person who has to go call everybody up and and ask these questions on a regular basis to keep the ownership and fan base enticed. And so fast forward to pandemic and you've got companies like Chili's and Socios that have figured out how to access a large, large community of fans at the far ends of 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 a particular team's reach and be able to very efficiently create an economy and a community around how they can have access and and, and closeness to a team and also provide input to some of these things and have the team get value out of that as well. Um, And I bring the story up because it's, that to me is sort of evidence that what we're seeing right now isn't passing, it's really here to say it's an evolution of its digital transformation at its best. Um, we are digitizing what we've done previously, you know, by pen and paper manually over phone to things um, via Web3 technologies that allow us to access a much larger set of mar- a much larger market in a much more efficient way. Um, So anyways, I like to tell that story because for me, it was like, wow, kind of a turning point in in seeing sort of the lasting effects of digital transformation. Um, But to go back to your question sort of around Web3 at large and and impact on sports, for us at Lutus we um, we sort of see two pop, two buckets in, in terms of impact. I think on one side, we see impact um, from an entertainment or fan engagement perspective. And on the other side, um, this bucket of utility, right? If we think about Web3 technologies, crypto, tokens, NFTs, blockchains, DAOs, et cetera, they all can play a role in each of these buckets. And we've already seen some of it play out over the last year or so, right? I mentioned Chili's just now um, in the space of deepening fan engagement through the use of fan tokens. And then you've got companies like Top Shots that are deepening fan engagement through non-fungible tokens and gamification on that, right? Um, DAOs, DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations that are able to bring a large group of people together and to affect decision-making together um, based on shared principles and, and values. Um, can that be a new representation of a fan club, perhaps? Um, so that's sort of on the entertainment side, and we're seeing uh, more and more ideas get fleshed out with those technologies. On the utility side, I mean, just straight up, we're seeing we're seeing um, athletes get paid in crypto. It's a form of currency, it's a form of payment. It represents actual value to them. Um, We're seeing blockchain play a role in sports betting as a, um, you know, as a ledger and source of truth, um, as a means of affecting and settling a bet um, via smart contracts. We're seeing blockchain playing to sort of peer-to-peer sports betting. Um, And um, you can also see DAOs as a form of management for for fans from more utility perspective, Um, not to mention ticketing. Lots of stuff that could be happening in ticketing, resale space, um, and in sort of solving some of the pain points that have really um, labored the secondary market there over the years. Um, so we think there are actually a lot of use cases where Web3 can, can make a difference. Um, where are we at right now? Pretty early, pretty early, I would say. Um, I think what's going to drive um, further adoption is, is what I mentioned earlier, um, is just making web three much more accessible to the general public and that's outside of sports, right? That's on sort of web three community to do. Um, And and once we sort of see that um, we'll start accelerating an adoption. Uh, But overall we are long web three and and it's lasting effects on on sports at large.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's, there's some stuff that just all those sports is, um, as I said, not immune to digital transformation, even though it sometimes thinks it is. At the same time, there's also stuff that's just outside the realm of sports uh, sphere of influence um, in terms of this technology, how it's growing and how quickly it's growing and how it's kind of ironing out the kinks, so to speak, um, and working through some of the issues that are stopping or holding people back from getting involved in it, but certainly in terms of uh, some of those examples that you mentioned, um, with crypto fan tokens, um, you know, Topshop, uh, Flow, which is also Dapper Labs trying to, uh, what was the the headline saw the other day it was trying to make a blockchain for the for normies, yeah, uh, the NFT for normies is is basically their mission. Is that is just going out and going how do we how do we make this available to everyone? So it's not this kind of slightly scary, um, brave new world, but how do we get it into the hands of, of everyday people and, and obviously everyday fans as well?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I think if people don't even need to understand sort of the behind the scenes onboarding, right? I mentioned the MetaMask wallet and hooking that up and going through the multitude of steps that need to be had um, and hiding all of that, like an Amazon checkout buy now process, that would be one of the driving factors for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's, I think just in the information technology age and in Web 3 as part of that is probably a bit more explaining what's happening, whereas we think about um, uh, Web 2, no one has any idea how Wi-Fi works generally. There's <laughs> obviously people that work within that. <laughs> yes, I, don't know, I don't know how my phone works. I don't know any of this, and it's, you know, the joke is if you went back in time, you would actually have zero knowledge because you don't understand how the world around you works. But that is a sign of technology working well is that it is seamless for the experience. And I think that's something as well is because Web3 is un- unfolding in front of our eyes um, and each new development um, as it's kind of being built, um, sometimes there's a, yeah, a, a, a compulsion, I think, for people working in technology to go come over and look at this thing I'm working and really what the user doesn't wanna see um, the sausage get made, they just wanna see the end
1: result. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I'm 100% on that. You know, one thing I will caveat, one of the observations that we're making and talking a lot about internally is, is serving the different segments of fans across the different demographics, right? um, I am on the edge of being a millennial, <laughs> edge, edge, I should say. And I have a view of what makes a delightful experience. And I mentioned to you, seamless, frictionless, I don't have to think, right? It's one, one step, one go. And I like, I like things that are really beautiful UIs and really intuitive and, and whatnot. And that's the era that I grew up in. Um, but if we sort of look at the Gen Zs and we look at the younger generations, um, they have a higher tolerance for these things. And that's something that I, I give an example of like Roblox. Are you from Roblox? Yeah. Uh, my son just started getting into it. And I remember when I set up the account for him and started exploring myself, I was like, what is going on here? Um, this is years ago. And I thought this is so like not, this is not very nice The the UI is not very clear. The graphics are not great. I'm not sure what's going on. Um, and, and, it don't, and and for him, I mean, he's seven and for him, he didn't know any other difference. He, he, he didn't know any other different um, any other differently. And, and uh, I think that's one thing we have to acknowledge is, is the younger demographics are able to tolerate. Um, I don't tolerate the right word, but, they are growing digitally native, and that's different than the other generations. And so um, when we look at companies, um, we also have to ask a question, like, yes, there's a big TAM, but which TAM are you really trying to serve right now? And is is it is it really the right experience for them? And, and how do we think about adoption? How do we think about really how much can we actually convert? Um, just a thought to add to to
0: that piece. No, it's great. I, I think that's that's very true. I've dated myself on that one, then, but it's uh, just everything nice and shiny and working. But things like Minecraft, in terms of um, something that's so basic, and in, in terms of graphics, but it's it's how it how it, the utility from it and how people enjoy it and all that kind of stuff about the expectations of it. And obviously, as you said, digitally native is. Um, part of the web three promise, I guess, is the creator economy and the ability to directly connect people without these big platforms standing in the way. Um, and part of that is, is that, um, I guess seeing how it's built and, and building it yourself. So yeah, it's definitely something to, um, to take into account for whichever generation or whichever market um, you're addressing. Right. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Matilda. I've got one last question before we go. And we ask all our guests this to uh, bring it back to what we're talking about, which is obviously the passion and um, excitement around the sports industry and, and sports as is is just something that is, is so different to, to anything else in our lives. And what is your favourite sporting moment of all time?
1: Great question. I'm going to go take it to the beginning. Um, My first um, American sporting event, which just so happens to be an NFL football game. Uh, My now husband, then boyfriend, I think was trying to impress me. Um, He took me back home. He's from Potomac, Maryland, and he's a diehard Redskins, or I should say Commanders fan. (laughs) Um, He took me to, I think it was Lanover. That's where it's at, FedEx field. Oh, I um,
0: there. it's I uh, wouldn't say it's one of the prettiest stadiums I've, I've it, oh, I'm
1: so glad you say this because Thank as I go know. back and I think it you know, <laughs> kind of impressed me because his parents had season tickets and I was expecting a different user experience um <laughs> but
0: what time of year was it? what's that it
1: was it was October it was cold it was getting uh, cold yeah, um, In
0: January so that was that was something else
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also still very cold. Um, They were playing, I want to say, Dallas. Um, It was, and it was, I think, Tony Tony Romo was quarterback then for Dallas. And it would have been like Mark Brunel for for the Redskins. But I I think for me, it was my first American sporting event. I think up until this point, I'd, you know, gone to a couple of Wimbledon games. I grew up in Canada. I went to Canucks games. I didn't grow up in a sports household. I was in a very much an arts humanities household. and. I go to this game and I was just blown away by the energy, Um, just the fervency of everyone around me and the variability of all the types of people around me. Um, And Mind you, I had just moved to the US um, maybe months ago, uh, a few months ago, and um, it was just great uh, just to see people of all ages, types, um, backgrounds, getting so excited, the rivalry, the camaraderie, the chatter. I want to say, like, I heard every type of conversation, um, you know, people placing like bets with their friends, To dads teaching their kids something to, I think like even some of the folks talking about the entertainment, I think Tony Roman was dating um, Jessica Simpson, was it back then? And people, there were just all types of chatter. And it was so new to me. And I was just so blown away by the energy and never would I have thought at that point, 10 years later this is back in like 2005 or something like that um 10 years later that I would be working for the NFL myself and so um I don't know if that kind of seeded in me um the excitement and seeing sort of this community this ecosystem there um at the future that I would have had but um I think of that that experience fondly
0: that that is great and that's great to to draw I guess that that line from that moment to to working in the NFL and that is the, the passionate fan experience. I mean, my one uh, experience at FedEx field was, was similar it was one of the first, um, I think it was the first NFL game I ever went to and we were in the very, very back row. It was well below freezing um, and just miserable, maybe like drizzling and stuff, but just the stadium was those upper echelons were full. People were just loving it and, and so enthusiastic about their team and, um, just, yeah, the passion, the passion for it um, really sticks with me as well. So yeah, thank yeah. you so much, Matilda, for uh, sharing your expertise on, on Sports Tech Feed. It's been great to have you on the show and uh, we will follow along your portfolio companies uh, with, with a lot of interest.
1: Thank you so much, Thomas, for having me.